0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Sleep Like Baby podcast. I'm your host Hannah and I'm an infant sleep consultant as well as a mum living and working in South East London. If you are obsessed with how your little one sleeps but don't want to cry it out, but you also feel like the wait it out option isn't really for you right now, well welcome to the middle ground. This is a place where we talk about all things normal baby sleep, what we can do to optimise it and what we can let go of worrying about. So I'm coming to you today from a rather wet and rainy London, it's July, um, and you might have noticed that my, my voice is no longer as husky as it was in previous episodes, so I'm delighted to say that we're having a couple of days off in between colds and upper respiratory tract infections, hopefully we'll get a little bit of respite, but you never know. But for fans of my huskier voice, you will be delighted to hear that I actually recorded today's episode a couple of weeks ago when I was still very, very much under the weather. So you get to enjoy my more dulcet tones with this week's guest. And I am thrilled to say that this week I'm talking to someone who I am just, just in general, a bit of a super fan of. So in November 2020, a new Instagram account appeared with a very lovely post about the importance of um, talking, singing, cuddling and playing with a baby. Fast forward six months and Susanna aka Real Kind Parent has amassed an amazing online following with over 13,000 people now liking and sharing her beautiful, moving poetry and gorgeous bits of advice about parenting. So she's a Qualified holistic sleep consultant, as well as an occupational therapist with a background in adult mental health. Susanna has created this amazing Instagram space where parents' natural instincts to soothe and nurture their little ones are not only completely normalized, but they're also passionately and gorgeously advocated for. So I wanted to talk to Susanna about loads of subjects. Her Her writing about motherhood has so resonated with me and also her just expertise and experience in mental health and infant temperament and normal baby sleep has been a real inspiration uh, to me. So in this interview we cover the illusion of control and perfectionism in particularly new motherhood. We also talk a lot about temperament and sensitivity and personality of our children, of ourselves. We talk about navigating new seasons in parenthood and also about what makes a good baby. And thanks to the wonders of the internet, Susanna and I have come to bond over our two little toddler tornadoes. And although she, I think she calls her little boy a hurricane and I don't know which is worse, a hurricane or a tornado? I don't know. But anyway, we basically both had velcro babies we could not put down to sleep. And our both of our sons are kind of high energy, huge hearted, and maybe shall we say on the more sensitive side of the temperament spectrum. So as a result, I think both of us have bed shared with our babies at different stages and we've had different kind of co-sleeping, bed sharing experiences which we talk about in today's episode. Um, But why this isn't more of a thing that more of us know about in terms of bed sharing and co-sleeping and how common this is, why that isn't more of a thing that we talk about before we have babies is absolutely beyond me. So co-sleeping or bed sharing is actually something that about half of all UK parents do at some point during the first few months of life with a baby. The truth is that very few of us actually set out to do this it's not something that we intend to do although that's absolutely fine if that is what you do but it normally just becomes a necessity or a really great solution to the problems of a baby who has very short sleep cycles and needs to feed a lot. And these things happen not because we're weak or lazy or just too soppy as new parents, but really it's because that's kind of just how babies are hardwired. It's how they come out. It makes total biological sense to share a bed with a baby and ultimately we've got to remember that we are all just primates. This is what our species does. And yet so many of us feel like we aren't that type of parent who does that. Or we're scared to let our children get too used to the co-sleeping, otherwise they'll never leave. This rod-for-your-own-back narrative is everywhere and people are so often warned against it. There was also a lot of... um, fear in 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 the previous generation over the safety concerns of co-sleeping as well but fortunately we are now parenting in a time where we know so much more about safe sleep and how we can do that in a way that is good for the whole family but look ultimately it's a really personal decision I'm a really big believer that co-sleeping and bed sharing just isn't for everyone and that's absolutely okay it would be really boring if we were all doing this the exact same way and the truth is it comes down to temperament again which is something that Susanna and I talk about so much is that you have to kind of parent the child that you've been given it's all well and good saying I would never do this I would never do that but if you have a child who has those particular needs you can either choose to fight an uphill battle against those needs and stress yourself out but that's also your choice to do that Or you can try to learn to surrender and go with it. But I always say that is so much easier said than done. And it is all well and good putting that onto paper and uh, preaching about the importance of surrendering. When actually in practice it's really difficult. And I say this as a recovering perfectionist myself. So that's something that we also talk a lot about in this week's episode is about... How do we recover from perfectionism? How do we let go of that illusion of control? Um, So without any further ado, let's just get straight into it. And uh, here's my interview with Susanna from Real Kind Parent. Also, I just wanted to add, though, um, if you are a fan of Susanna's beautiful poetry, she does sell some really gorgeous prints on Etsy that you can download and then um, put up in your home. You could frame them. They make beautiful art and you can be reminded of her really lovely words about motherhood, parenthood, bed sharing and the bond between parent and child. The Sleep Like a Baby podcast is supported by The Octopus Club, the online marketplace where you can buy, sell and give away baby and kid stuff without any hassle. If your home is piling up with toys, clothes and bits of kit that your little one no longer uses, The Octopus Club offers an easy, environmentally friendly way of selling or donating things to other families. And if you're on the hunt for high quality second hand goods, this is the place for you. Honestly, the stuff on there is gorgeous. Check them out on Instagram or go straight to their website, theoctopusclub.com to sign up today. I've been thinking a lot lately about how the question of whether a baby is good or not is quite outdated. Like oh. I've only ever heard it from uh, old, like an elderly, kind of older, much older generation. Oh. Um, normally just very lovely old ladies would stop me on the street and ask me if my son was a good baby. So it's not necessarily something that people in our generation normally ask each other where yeah. but i do think that that question has been replaced by do they sleep through the night are they sleeping well and it's a question that i just that new parents just get asked over and over and over again and not just within the first few months but potentially for the first like 2 years of your child's life which i find a bit strange um so I guess today um, I wanted to talk to you about that kind of idea of the good baby and the pressures on sleep and how that can then in turn lead to a sense of failure if your baby isn't sleeping, how your neighbours, cousins, mm-hmm. best friends, hairdresser thinks they should do, you know? So mm-hmm. I don't know. Were you asked a lot if your son was a good baby?
1: Um, I was and I was always quite... um. It always took me back because I just thought I've never, I've never heard that question before. It's just quite like, <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? Um, the first time I remember, I think we were, we were looking around a house because we were moving, and um, I had my son in a sling um, strapped to my chest, and just on the way out, the owner of the house just said, "No, I don't know how old is he now, and mm-hmm. is he good?" And I was just thinking yeah like yes he is good but uh, as you're saying the sort of implicit message in that is you know is he sleeping well is he sleeping as long as possible because that definitely seems to be the kind of the bar that we measure um babies at really in terms of if they're good if they're making our lives as kind of manageable as possible so I think it is very much tied into sleep and I would I would agree that um that it seems to be a kind of older generation but um i suppose our sort of our version of our generation is just to be asking about sleep i mean everybody's just always so curious about it and um you know then that kind of the big golden question like is he sleeping through the night yet are they sleeping through the night which um i just feel like everybody everybody wants to know
0: Yeah, it's and I feel as well like it's a piece of information that's often passed around so that you're like Mm. your friend might say like oh did you hear that Susie's baby's three months old and sleeping ten hours a night and you hear like you know I don't know I feel like it's kind of in the same way that sometimes that you hear when people give birth they'll say like oh yeah the baby was this many pounds and Mm. she did it without any drugs you know it's these kinds of um these gold standards that we pass around and you know Mm. then therefore if you didn't have a a, a pain-free like you know a medication-free birth or if you didn't have a baby that's suddenly sleeping 10 hours a night you just instantly get this message that like oh well then you've got you've done it you're doing it wrong or
1: yeah, definitely, and I so I so that so resonates with me with the birth because um, my birth was the total antithesis of what I had imagined and what I was kind of working towards, and I think I also had that view that you know I I basically was doing the hypno birthing and I wanted it to be uh, in water and as natural and calm as possible. Um, and it ended up being just the total opposite mm. and extremely heavy medi- heavily medicalized and um, you know all the eventualities that you kind of didn't want to happen um and I think the sort of the implicit message with with kind of preparing for birth and in the way that I did and also with sleep with a new baby is if you just learn enough if you just apply yourself and commit enough to gathering all the facts as possible and um, implementing as much advice and learning all this information that you don't already know yourself and consulting as many books and experts, then you should be able to orchestrate the kind of birth you want or engineer your baby's sleep in the way that you'd like it to be. But um, the problem with that is these are natural processes that um we just can't control and i think i think a huge contributing factor to us um ending up feeling like failures with this and ending up feeling like we're not doing the right thing is this illusion of control that is so pervasive across parenthood and birth and baby sleep that You know, the idea that we should be able to manage it if we're just dedicated enough or if we just, Mm. um, you know, in some ways are kind of perfectionist enough or Mm -hmm. do enough. When actually, you know, as you know, sleep is homeostatic. It's biological. It's not something that we can um, engineer, really.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you did you feel that before you you had your son then did you feel like you were you would be able to kind of outsmart nature because I did but I don't know if that's just me do you mean with his sleep yeah Yeah. what were your expectations about sleep before you had? (laughs) well um I mean obviously
1: I I got that we were gonna have some disturbed sleep I think anyone you know even before you're on your journey to becoming a parent everybody sort of equates new baby with lack of sleep and you know that's the thing that everybody wants to talk about and think about and kind of collectively dread about before it happens and um so I was you know I was prepared for that I thought yep we're going to be waking up multiple times in the night we're going to be feeding him at night I'm going to be tired it's going to be difficult but it wasn't at all in my awareness that um the problem would actually be getting my son into his cot. Like that just didn't occur to me. Mm. Um, So I just remember the first night home with him um, and looking at my room thermometer, consulting what, what it said, applying the cellular blanket into the sidecar crib beautifully (laughs) tucking it in um you know the stage was set for the big transfer and he just wouldn't go in there or I should probably say he couldn't go in there um it just wasn't in his capacity at that time to be separated from me even though it was right next to my bed so um so then a huge sort of part of that initial first journey with his sleep a huge amount of our energy was just taken up with furiously like googling if that was normal Mm -hmm. what to do like what on earth can we do if he won't go into his cot like how are we going to sleep um so i think i think yeah i don't think i expected that at all i had no idea that um you know part of this experience of the fourth trimester is the fact that a baby has been totally enclosed in the womb and is used to being held by your body so of course they're going to want to be held by your body on the outside as well but um, yeah so I, I don't think I was prepared for that and I think most of my sort of researching and learning and trying to prepare was really just Preparing for the birth, I don't think Mm -hmm. I did enough preparation with actually um, how to manage when he's here and and what realistic expectations would be for his sleep. So that was definitely a learning curve.
0: I feel that's just been my experience of parenthood though you know I've, I've yeah. every single new phase has sort of come at me and I thought oh why didn't I think that one day my baby would be a toddler and why didn't yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I spend so much time thinking about baby things and then suddenly I had this like Walking, talking little monster in my life, and I was like, Well, what do I do with that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it, yeah, so every phase, every stage kind of comes suddenly. And I, I, I personally, I've never felt prepared for each stage, yeah. but um, I think that's and also, I don't know how long you were um in hospital for after your birth, but often for the first 24 to 48 hours, a baby kind of a lot of babies when they're newly born are so sleepy that they often will be put down. Mm. So for me I had a very similar experience to you but in the hospital we were putting our son into the little like plastic kind of bassinet thing they have in, in, and and he was sleeping on his back just fine there next to us but I guess it was it's very hot in the hospital and mm. you know they've just they're they're exhausted and recovering from birth aren't they so yeah. even though he wasn't exactly you know sleeping for long stretches we he was we were able to put him down and then we came home when he was 3 days old and by that point we just could not place him anywhere when he was asleep and even when he was awake really like it yeah, just so wasn't far. happening so I was like what where, where have all the midwives gone where has everyone gone what's <laughs> happened how and you're suddenly left alone in this like home with this with this creature that doesn't seem to be following any of the rules that you, or the the patterns of behavior that I had in my head like mm. sleeping in a cot
1: <laughs> exactly and that seems like it the sort of one that you just take for granted, like that's just a given mm-hmm. that that's where they sleep. And, you know, you just sort of surmise that it's going to be about managing how many times they wake up. But um, but yeah, I totally agree. I think all of this is such a steep learning curve and I've definitely found like the transition to toddlerhood. Um, there's just so much thinking um, on your feet to be done and just getting to also kind of get in touch with your own, um, your own emotional needs and why, um, you feel so triggered by certain things and why you find certain challenges that come along with toddlerhood more difficult than others. And how can you kind of be there, um, as your toddler needs you to be, um, and kind of stay sane at the same time and get everything (laughs) done that you need to do in the day at the same time so yeah I think I think also we we spend so much time um focusing on how hard the newborn stage is um and thinking about what an adjustment that is but you're completely right it's it's just it can be just as intense when you move into other stages and you find yourself again kind of you know treading water with other aspects of parenting that you just don't
0: feel competent
1: in yet
0: yeah so how did you feel when you well first of all so how did you cope like how did you what was your strategy for a baby that wouldn't go into that really lovely perfectly (laughs) made crib like what did you guys do
1: ah well I mean there was a lot of how not to do it happening yeah yeah um I mean yeah if you had like a fly on the wall um it would be like a documentary for all the unsafe positions to not fall asleep with a baby in because like I said we just hadn't prepared for that so um it was like having a hot potato we just passed him between us we did shifts over 24 hour periods and Mm -hmm. just stayed up with him um while he slept on our chests and we stayed awake um obviously there were times where we would be like about to fall asleep and yeah. that's not safe and then eventually we saw a lactation consultant um, because I had some we had some feeding I had like an oversupply issue mm-hmm. so we went to get some support with that and I um, asked her you know what can we do about the sleeping situation and that's when I was kind of introduced to cuddle curl position with bed Mm -hmm. sharing um and how to safely bed share and until that point we'd just been doing this was probably about six weeks um until that point we'd just been passing in between us and staying awake um all those hours because we would i was so scared about Mm -hmm. bed sharing i was just terrified of it i i didn't know how to do it safely all you kind of get told is that it should be avoided at all costs so Mm. Um, so once we saw this lactation consultant and got that advice um, then I was able to you know prepare the bed and get into the cuddle curl position and just I mean it's also just having a professional tell you that it's okay Mm -hmm. um, makes such a big difference so you know obviously you can do some digging and find some information on how to prepare your bed but for someone to just say it's okay if you do it in this position and here are some things to think about. It kind of gives you permission to just, to just do it and just trust that it's okay. So then we, um, yeah, we, I, well, my husband, um, slept on the floor for a good few months because we didn't have a spare bed or anything, but, mm-hmm. um, I shared a bed with my son and yeah, learned to feed in the sideline position and those, two kind of pieces of learning just massively transformed our quality of life really, because I was able to get so much more sleep and we, and also my husband could sleep um, as -hmm. well. So we weren't so massively um, sleep deprived and, you know, the, the impact on our mental health as well, when we just sort of felt like we had some kind of solution and we could get um, a bit more decent sleep at a stretch. Um, was just massive it didn't feel like we were so heavily in this kind of zombified mm-hmm. state anymore so so yeah we we managed by bed sharing and um, I wore him in a sling a lot I just got to grips with a fabric sling and yeah he was just my velcro baby <laughs> and he's a bit of a kind of velcro toddler as well now. Oh, lovely um yeah he's just always needed lots of physical contact so that is how we got through it
0: that's and and so your background is in um occupational therapy and mental health and i wonder how that professional experience informed your your mothering during those early months when you're figuring out how to care for a child that needs extra sensory input and touch and mm. you know or not necessarily extra sensory input you know there's certainly nothing that you've described about your baby that is unusual or wrong or you know but just um I, I'm just interested to know how how as an OT you kind of um approach that or did all well, your professional knowledge go out the window I don't know
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean I think the really interesting thing is that um we can have knowledge as professionals sitting in our brains. Um and it can just continue to sit there sometimes when we're a human um going through an experience ourselves. So um I mean in terms of his kind of need for lots of sensory input I I don't feel like I had a huge amount of knowledge um in the forefront of my mind because I'd been so specialized in adult mental health for um the kind of years before becoming a mum so I didn't I didn't my ears weren't really pricking up that um that I could sort of bring my OT into this I was just more sort of wondering you know is this normal you're just constantly asking yourself is this normal um and I also hadn't you know in OT training you don't learn about say infant temperament Mm -hmm. and the different infant you know well different temperamental traits for anybody um and I think that's probably the main you know a huge revelation really a big piece of learning in all of this is learning about that and I came across the kind of topic of temperament actually before that learning about the highly sensitive person because that is just me that like when I've discovered the highly sensitive person quiz and and Mm. filled it out you know talking about being really sensitive to sound and like minor background noises not being able to tune them out and being deeply moved by films and other people's experiences and and all that kind of thing so I found the highly sensitive person stuff long before um, but it hadn't occurred to me that I had you know like a highly sensitive child and this is what was going on with his um need for constant physical contact I just wasn't putting that together and I think in the sort of sleep deprived state you're just yeah you're just trying to kind of put one foot in front of the other but um I also I think a lot of um a lot of our experience in the beginning was probably as well due to the kind of birth that he had um he just probably needed lots more sort of reassurance and um and just needing to be close uh because of maybe how distressed he got at some stages but um yeah (laughs) that's such a long long ramble no not
0: at all I think that's really interesting and I think it's something that not a lot of people talk about is the idea that birth impacts a baby as well so Mm. we um obviously we need to talk about and support how it affects the parents that experience it that's really important um but yeah the the fact that 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 babies infants have are shaped by their experiences often gets forgotten i think Mm. um which which is just fascinating you know that i think that you know that it's so easy to forget that your baby needs to recover from birth as well and that 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 experience may may shape them or you know there's different kinds of memory aren't there you know we we Mm. like to think of of memory as these things that we can you know that we associate with our verbal logical sides of our brains but we have obviously you know children before they're verbal have have memory but they hold it in their bodies they hold it in their Mm. kind of core you know Core parts of their brain they're you know they're they're really primal brains, yeah is- yeah,
1: and I think um and I think we we also I suppose we also tend to think about um babies having maybe the same reaction to a certain type of birth, like um I remember hearing a lot around uh, if you had a heavily medicalized birth like we did um then maybe your baby would be really really sleepy afterwards and you'd have to kind of wake them up for feeds um and that feeding would be really difficult and our experience was kind of the opposite like the the big blessing for us was that the feeding got off to a good start and he could latch well Mm -hmm. and you know i was so i so appreciated that because i know um there's a huge amount of potential for difficulties with that um but he was incredibly wakeful. He was waking up (laughs) all the time. He wasn't sleepy at all. Um, And he just needed, yeah, he just needed to be held all the time. But I think knowing what I know now, now that I'm, um, now that I've learned so much around his temperament is that he as well is someone who seeks a lot of sensory input. And that's Mm -hmm. our experience with trying to help him fall asleep now and just his general kind of um you know what's reflected in his general behavior is that he is a kid that likes to be moving climbing um feeling exploring um constantly seeking sensory input from his environment and you know how that translates into his sleep is always needed lots of rocking walking around shushing bouncing jiggling absolutely everything i mean at some points, i've been um i've been walking him around whilst holding him whilst rocking him whilst feeding him in my (laughs) arms like all of the possible things that you could do apart from like standing on a hoverboard at the same time (laughs) um so he's just like give me all the sensory input, just give it to me. So I think, I think knowing that now that was what was going on for him when he was a newborn. So he just like wanted to constantly be held and surrounded and, you know, just the the sort of pressure, the deep pressure in his sensory system of being in our arms and, and feeling, you know, feeling his weight on our chest. So, and that's, that's okay too. Like that's normal too. I think we just, don't have enough of a understanding of what the range of baby temperament and needs can look like. Um, And I think probably media has a lot to do with that as well. You know, when you see babies in movies, they're just maybe in a Moses basket in the corner of the room, maybe Mm -hmm. in a cot, um, maybe on a mat staring up at a mobile very happily. And that's normal as well. Um, but we don't hear enough about the kind of more rebellious babies that like to do things a bit differently um so yeah,
0: I agree, I think uh <laughs> yeah, I think that good baby narrative follows us into popular culture, oh. and yeah, the baby that is in the cot in their own room sleeping, and the yeah. parent goes in and wakes them up and gets them in the morning, and everyone's happy and smiling, like that's lovely, and that does happen, but If that doesn't happy happen for you, then it's not it's not great, is it? Yeah,
1: and I think also,
0: I mean, popular culture and also popular
1: literature. I mean, all the I've read so many baby books and parenting books in my desperate quest to crack the sleep (laughs) code and you know like be able to sleep and be able to have hands free and things like that. And, um, you know, also been part of the the kind of the mum WhatsApp groups and everyone, everyone's sharing tips and information from what they're reading. And I think um, I was always so amazed by how uh, black and white everything is like, you know, the baby is X amount of weeks now. um, So here is the exact plan of the day when they're going to feed when they're going to sleep um what you should do in between that time scheduling in the play um and you know saying right their bodies are this size now they don't need they don't need as much milk anymore you can drop this the snack feed at this time or whatever um and you know laying out when the night feeds should be by age as the weeks go on and progressively dropping them it's again sort of gives us this this really, this really strong message that we can control all of it, and um, we should be able to control all of it, and no kind of room for individual variation within that, or even not not allowing parents the room to start actually feeling their way through the process. And I think that is a huge that's a huge issue for me is that we kind of been given the message that we need to keep learning and learning and knowing and knowing, but that moves us further away from being able to be feeling enough what we think the appropriate thing to do is. And I'm not saying that everyone should kind of land into their parenting role really confident and have really strong instincts and be able to access them perfectly straight away. But I think if we were able to feel a bit more empowered that our feelings are actually incredibly valuable, and and we can leave a bit of space for them in all of this. Then it would be easier to use them. Whereas I think the problem is, you know, we've got all the books and all the social media accounts and all the apps even now, which just kind of give you the message that you need to um, you need to gather as much outside information as you can um, and learn all of these really hard facts that you couldn't in inherently know yourself already in order to be able to parent effectively, in order to be able to get through it when really we should be encouraging people to actually turn inwardly a bit more um, and become confident in themselves through getting to know their individual baby, um, getting to understand what they do and when and reading their cues and building their confidence within that relationship rather than always thinking that um they don't have it within them and they have to kind of turn to 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 all this outside information so
0: I think that's such a good point I I think it's really um I won't say when you were saying that I was thinking how 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 a lot of the mainstream parenting advice isn't just seeking to separate parents from their children or encourage independence between the two but also to separate um you you from yourself yeah. so there um i think that's really interesting it's not just about separating the mother and the baby but it's about <coughs> separating the mother from herself from her instincts yeah. and that's that's what i find the saddest thing i suppose yeah. um yeah. and that you know the way that we care and nurture and parent our children it's for us as well as for them so if mm. you have had a a difficult experience at some point in your in, in parenting you know tuning in and connecting and reconnecting and having that bond with your child it helps you move through it as well as them it's a bi-directional relationship and um, the benefits for both of you are enormous 100%. Um, I, don't... I totally agree with what you just said
1: <laughs> um yeah I think also what was going through my mind as you were talking about that is how a parent nurtures and cares for. And, you know, I've got like the image in my mind of like a lion licking, licking the ears of her lion cub, like how we um, nurture our children with babies. For some reason, it's just become everybody's business and, um, just thinking when you were saying that it's not as if anybody says to you you know you really shouldn't stroke your husband's hair when (laughs) he's falling asleep because because he might become too reliant on that and if he wakes up in the night you don't want him to need you to stroke his hair to fall back asleep um but with babies it's just like completely up for grabs and people can take these really intimate um sacred behaviors that we have that are just so special between a parent and their child and just give parents all of these wild ideas about how they're not okay or they should only be used at certain times and um you know I so agree with you it's kind of moving people further and further away from their sort of core instincts and their um identity and um how sort of at home they feel in their um, behavior as a parent
0: and did you feel so when you'd um kind of embraced the co-sleeping baby wearing just hmm. you know when you'd found your rhythm with all of that stuff did you <laughs> find that people did you feel judged for it or did you feel that people were mostly kind of supportive and let you get on with it um
1: a bit of a mixed bag really I think the bed sharing people have always not really got it. I think I only know like one other friend who um, shared a bed with her son. Um, I think I, I did need to do a lot of explaining to people. Um, and I think at the same time when you're sort of, it wasn't something I was planning myself. I also was trying to get my head around my own sort of peace with it so i was kind of justifying it to myself and them at the same time every time somebody asked me about it um but yeah i did still get a lot of questions from people um you know why don't you help him with some spaced soothing and why don't you just try the sleep training and my husband um you know would say oh one of my clients has had Uh, few kids herself and she's asking why why isn't you know why isn't our son self-soothing yet and this kind of self-soothing thing was kind of born in our minds and um yeah I think I think maybe at the beginning people understand a bit you know all the carrying and the sleeping next to each other but I think then it does kind of get to a point where they think well what's going on now because um you know we don't really get why he's now not sleeping on his own or mm-hmm. um, especially I think with the, the carrying him in a sling I carried him really until he was just um, well I know actually you can carry toddlers but yeah um, I haven't I haven't found a good carrier for myself yet but my husband still does carry him um, but I think as he was getting bigger and bigger um, and I'd be sort of walking around he's always been really big for his age as well with this like giant child strapped to my chest <laughs> <laughs> Quite a bit like is that are you okay with that is he a bit heavy I mean do you want to use the pram that you spent loads of money on or is that another thing that's just for decoration along with all the cots that you're never going to use um so yeah I think it was a mixed bag really but I did get lots of the questions like you know why don't you just sleep train him I think a lot of people didn't really get why I
0: I have to confess um um, someone in my family bed shared with their second child and mm-hmm. before I became a parent myself I did think god they just need to sort that out like that can't be yeah. right it's really bad like I can't believe I, you know oh, no. it's such That's a it, yeah I just was like well that doesn't sound right to me like seemed really weird but then yeah now I mean, I'm a parent I'm like well of course they did what else is she (laughs) gonna do how else are you gonna sniff their hair at morning? like that's just who her child was the second child didn't sorry the first child didn't the second child did like they're just different kids they've got different needs the family changes you know I was like now I'm just like what an awesome strategy they figured it out that works you know but um there was just this and I yeah but then I think yeah, sorry. No, I was just gonna say the one friend that I mentioned, um, I when I first heard about
1: them uh sharing a bed, I was concerned about the safety because I'd sat in like child I sat in one child safeguarding training as a professional and the leader was um talking about how dangerous co-sleeping was. So I sort of thought, oh my god, do they know? Do I need to wade in and kind of tell them how dangerous it is? Um, and now I'm just like this massive advocate for co sleeping. Yeah, so me too. Um, yeah. <laughs> so,
0: so
1: it's like you know, people aren't. It's not people aren't bad for for not understanding it. It's just not normalised at all. And also, a lot of people who do do it don't feel able to disclose that um Mm -hmm. because yeah because they fear what people are going to say maybe they just don't have the energy to you know manage their response to um to you know the opinions that they might get about it so yeah
0: yeah I think I was really lucky so in my antenatal group a couple of the other women were from like Chinese backgrounds and they had grown up in homes where Co sleeping was uh just normal so yeah. most of us at some point I think co-slept maybe one out of like say eight women maybe one or two didn't but I think mm-hmm. that was just because they didn't need to or you know their baby was happy in a cot or whatever but it certainly was so I was really lucky that we were all like oh yeah the baby's in bed with me <laughs> like obviously yeah. and so yeah. we were all quite honest about it just because culturally for lots of us that was normal and I also found out that I was in my parents bed a lot as an infant as well which I didn't really mm. know until I had a baby of my own and that's my mum so when I would go and stay at my mum's house again the co-sleeping thing wasn't thought of as weird because she's just like well what else are you going to do but then yeah. I found that sometimes I would step outside of those kind of tiny circles and talk about it and feel like I'd get maybe a look or a I don't know just like a oh but like don't do that for too long or oh I know you know oh my colleague her she can't get her nine-year-old out of the bed and all of those kind of scare stories and people worry that if they start they'll never stop and you know I just think even if you even if you do start and never stop why is why is that something we're so scared of you know why Mm. is it awful that a nine-year-old comes into their parents bed sometimes what do we think is is the problem there with that even
1: I mean also can we just acknowledge for a second that um I mean obviously there's there's people out there who like to be on their own and and aren't looking to be in a relationship but a huge proportion of adults like to sleep next to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So um, it's completely understandable that our kids want to sleep near us. We like to sleep next to the person that we love. So why shouldn't they like to sleep next to the person that they love? Um, And, you know, I would argue that they have much more of an emotional need to stay close to the person they love than we do because we've got the, um, more kind of coping skills to deal with a separation if our partner goes away um, for a trip for a few nights or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, it's always nice to kind of see them again. But um, I think the other part of that is the belief that, you know, you sort of maybe co sleep for a certain amount of years and then it stops and then it's over and then um, that's that. Whereas actually, kids maybe come in and out of their parents' bed throughout the course of their childhood. I mean, I didn't co-sleep with my parents when I was an infant, but I know when I was an older child, um, I used to go into their bed when I had nightmares and go through periods of time of being in there quite consistently. Um, So it's not kind of like a black and white stop, start thing, which I think people have a lot of of that kind of style of thinking with baby sleep anyway, but... um, I think the the, probably the biggest um, issue that I'd have with that view is that um, the belief that by embracing uh, our kids' need for closeness and their kind of need for us to be there, we're setting themselves, we're setting them up to not become independent later down the line. And that just isn't true. I think the more, um, well, we know that the more that we, Embrace their need for us and their dependence, the more secure that they can feel in that relationship um, and the more safe they feel. And then eventually, when they become developmentally ready to separate from us, they feel safe enough to do that. And if they know even that our door is open and they can come back into our Mm -hmm. bed or into our bedroom, um, you know, the times when they might want to, if they're going through something big in their lives a big transition a growth spurt something's happening at school they're having some nightmares um and they're going to become a lot more happy sleeping in their own space knowing that they can come back into us if they need to Mm -hmm.
0: definitely and and as well like i think i think it's really important to know that i i think it all comes back down to temperament doesn't it and that temperament is this um it's this big spectrum and there's not these kinds of I feel like we often want to just categorize babies into that well you're a clingy baby you're a you're a you're a happy baby you're a grumpy baby you're this you're that you're that and actually like you know you can have a velcro baby that and maybe at 10 months is suddenly very independent but or maybe that at 10 years they're going to be more independent and it's gonna that development is just gonna happen at their own pace like we're all on our own unique trajectory so my son for example like we co-slept for quite a while and then then just suddenly he just wanted it's like he just wanted his personal space at night and was like I put him in his cot and he was like so much happier there and I was like I was like oh okay i'll miss you yeah i was gonna say are you ready ready? Um, i mean kind of i don't know like he was a very um wriggly sleeper still is still now he's two he doesn't really like to come like into bed with me he'd rather like be on his own mattress or when he's ill he wants to like hold my hand but he likes his own space to sleep so sometimes i like put a mattress beside the cot and sleep with him that way so he knows (laughs) i'm there and he'll like look up and check but if I bring him into bed he's like no not having it no thanks it's like I don't know he's I don't know it's weird he's not the only baby like this but it uh, or toddler but you know so I think again if people worry that they're you've just got to kind of like play the card you're dealt with today like who is your? like what is your what's your child going through right now like don't worry too much about a year's time or a month's time or all of these things it's just this rod for your own back narrative just really winds me up because just it's a waste of energy yeah your energy is precious when you're a parent so it's so true you need to think about where you're channeling it and if it's into guilt and shame and stress then is that is that healthy is that good for you is that is that serving Mm you
1: yeah and I think if we can become more able to let go of all the um, criteria we sort of had in mind um, of how we expected it to go or how other people's kids sleep or um, Mm. you know all the sort of measures for success that we are um, absorbing from the environment around us um, then we can kind of safeguard our sense of identity as a parent because That is already so fragile. It's such a fragile emerging thing that's um, kind of being realised in the first year of parenting. And, you know, the more we're comparing to other people and the more we're um, consuming information that our baby should be doing x y and z by whatever time you know it's like that with milestones as well Mm. um there's so much out there like how to make your baby reach their milestones as quickly as possible get them talking as quickly as possible walking as quickly as possible it's um it's like another thing for parents to compare about and I think if we can just like really just breathe a bit more and soften our expectations and um just enjoy this new relationship and relating to this unique person in front of us, then we can safeguard ourselves a bit more from um, the potential for feeling like failure or we're not doing enough or we're not achieving enough or you know, living in that um, worrisome future case scenario that they're never gonna get out of our bed or they're never gonna sleep for longer stretches or um, we're gonna be feeding in a certain way longer than we can sustain. Um, because you know trust that they are an emerging human being as well and their needs change their development um goes along as it naturally um needs to so we don't need to always be kind of managing everything at every stage and we can just um open ourselves up to be a, a bit more um just a bit more accepting of our I guess passenger status in a way
0: yeah oh I like that passenger status <laughs> I like that yeah yeah, yeah. and do you, have you ever felt like um like an imposter you, have you ever had parental imposter syndrome though
1: oh massively massively <laughs> I've, I've got imposter syndrome just my whole life I think <laughs> it's such a big one for me I feel like I'm always um I think this shows up for me in um, excessive information gathering, um, which is, you know, that's like a way that we manage anxiety. When we think about anxiety, it's um, a lot of the time about how much we're able to tolerate uncertainty. And the way we deal with that, we deal with it in a lot of ways, maybe seeking reassurance from other people, um, maybe checking and really deliberating on decisions before we make them and a huge element um for me at least in parenting is just like the constant need to find all the information you know read enough books um know enough um so I'm kind of talking to my talk to myself throughout this whole podcast really um in that you know I too have been in that position where you just think i've just got to learn more and know more and then i'll feel confident in my Mm -hmm. decisions but again it's just that need to be sort of externally validated but um, if we can like tune back into the fact that we it's us in a relationship with our child and that sort of powerful knowledge that we have within us then we can try and overcome this um this kind of sense of imposter syndrome but I think we're all gonna have an element of that because in what other area of your life are you in a position of total responsibility um in something that you have no prior experience of it's like (laughs) it's like being the CEO on your first day and you've got like a 24-hour shift after 24-hour shift after 24-hour shift and you've had the most if you're the birthing parent you've just had the most massive physical experience ever where you know in normal situations maybe you'd have a couple of weeks at home off work Mm -hmm. recovering and someone bringing you snacks and like watching tv um
0: so yeah and and, and someone's life now depends on you not messing up exactly so I mean yeah I challenge a lot
1: Kind of like step into that role cool calm and collected with a kind of spring in their step ready to go so I think we're all yeah we're all going to have that imposter syndrome at some point and I think the important thing is just trying to I guess surround yourself with um, people as much as possible who are just going to help you begin to find your confidence and kind of be there celebrating with you when you when you figure things out and just remind you that you're learning together and um, it's a process
0: and no one knows if they're doing it right either like no one knows if it's you know you kind of hope that it's going okay but like ultimately yeah. it's it's a long game isn't it I mean you just you keep plowing away hoping oh, you're yeah. not messing up your child too much <laughs> yeah but
1: that's why we have to really forgive ourselves for all the comparison that we do because all we want to know is that like we're doing it okay we're normal our kid is normal you know um everybody's also finding it difficult we're struggling they're struggling so you know it's such a human thing to do to compare our situation with others because we're social beings we just want to know that we are um you know having a similar experience to someone else and feel connected with that because yeah we've got no experience of doing this before um, and we just as you say we just hope we're doing it okay enough we hope we're doing
0: it good enough (laughs) so what would you what would you what do you wish that someone had just told you I know this is a big question but (laughs) (laughs) you know what what do you what would have just saved you a little bit of I don't know yeah wasted energy what do you feel you wasted your energy too much on I think
1: I definitely wasted too much energy trying to find out if everything was just normal so I think I wish I'd have had a more um a better understanding of how brutal baby sleep is um so that I could spend less time investigating everything and adjusting my expectations and just more time kind of trying to just survive the situation or maybe even have had that awareness beforehand. And obviously you don't know how your birth is going to go and what your individual baby's needs are. Um, but maybe have it on my radar to um, find like a postnatal doula, have a few phone numbers ready um, just so that it wasn't such a total shock when I, um, things kind of went as they did but um, I think I always just come back to the instincts and just giving ourselves permission to um, totally indulge in our nurturing and this wasn't so much the thing when my son was a newborn but more when we were kind of going into like four months plus when I started to think more about his sleep and, you know, become more and more sleep deprived and think like, right, how do people do it? How do babies start to sleep more? Um, And then obviously all the normal stuff you read is all about, you know, sleep training and self-soothing and not doing lots of the things that we were doing, like sleeping next to each other, feeding to sleep, rocking, cuddling, all of that stuff. I think um, I've reached such a place of like celebration of all of that nurturing and all of that um the way that we help them fall asleep now whereas i wasn't like that at the beginning i was totally doubting all of it and you know why wouldn't you believe everything that you're reading so i think i would just say to myself that there's a reason you feel so strongly kind of attached to your baby there's a reason that um you know you're finding it hard to uh even think about implementing what you're being told to do and you absolutely aren't creating a rod for your own back by supporting him to sleep or you know keeping as close to him as he needs you to be Um, and that also you're going to really miss this at some point I know people kind of frown when they hear that and they think that's being like a enjoy every moment kind of um, they, they hear that as like a kind of enjoy every moment kind of comment. And it's really not because there's absolutely no way you can. And I did not enjoy every moment. <laughs> but now I actually really miss, um, you know, I see someone with like a small baby strapped to their chest and I think back so tenderly on that time and all the contact napping. And at the time I was so desperate for just some time just to do something else and to not be in a dark room in the middle of the afternoon. But now I'm just so, I just think back really so fondly on all of that. So I guess I'd say, even though it's really hard when you're in it and you're hearing a lot of stuff around all the stuff you're not supposed to do, absolutely give yourself permission to love your baby to sleep, however your heart is telling you to because it's only good it's only good for them it literally helps build their brains with the love and responsive care that you are giving them and I haven't seen any rods on anybody's backs <laughs> the,
0: the absolute worst case scenario is they'll grow up to be really resilient and secure in themselves yeah <laughs> that's the risk an
1: asshole with that person <laughs> I don't think I've ever met someone like that um yeah exactly you know you are totally investing in their long-term mental health yeah. so go you and yeah. don't worry about what other people say because yeah. you know that that is that is the truth mm-hmm.